Hello, Biltmore Church. It is so good to be with all of you today. And I don't know about you, but as we look back and see the faithfulness of God in our midst this year, I am incredibly encouraged. And I just want to say that I hope that you and your family had a very Merry Christmas. And here we are. We are coming to the end of what has been such a confusing uh, year where we have had to navigate and, and integrate change in so many areas where we never really would have expected. And really what I'm thinking about is going back to when the, it felt like the roof just started to collapse and the sky kind of started to fall and the whole world just turned inside out back in March of this year. What, what was it that was really going on at that moment in all of our hearts and how did that moment lead to a lot of the frustrations that we experience throughout the rest of the year? And as I've just been observing and as I've been listening, listening pastorally, there's a question that continually uh, comes to my mind that I have been asking. And I'm, I don't know about you, but I think that this could really set up 2021 really well as if we would just consider this question. What was it that became the functional hope in our hearts in 2020. And the reason why I say functional is because uh, a lot of the times we're tempted to just give a spiritual answer to that question. We can get hyper-spiritual and we can just say, well, all along I trusted God unconditionally. And maybe, maybe that was the case uh, for some of you, but for most of us, our functional hope in 2020 began to shift at a certain point. And what I wanna do is I just want to invite us to consider what was it that most of us were saying and what is it that many of us were thinking when we were thinking about where we were gonna locate our hope in 2020? And here's really what it was. Getting back to the way things were before. Uh, I think back to when I was in high school, there uh, was an artist called, and called Daughtry. And one of the songs that was just a really big hit among all the high school seniors, and it was just kind of spreading across the country, was this song. It was called Used To. And the lyrics of this song went like this. We used to have this figured out. We used to breathe without a doubt. We used to have this under control. Can we get this back to how it used to be? Now, there's a lot of pop psychology in those lyrics that's just bad theology. But before we go any further, I, just, I do want to acknowledge that there's a lot about pre-pandemic days that I miss, and I'm sure you miss as well. You know, I miss the handshakes and the hugs. Uh, I, I miss being able to come together for church, for weddings, for celebrations, even, even to mourn the loss of a loved one without any fear or without any real restrictions, the, the family get-togethers, the meals, all of that. I, I miss it, and I'm sure that you do as well. But one of the dangers, and this is true in my own life, one of the dangers that we are facing when we just want to get back to the way that things were before is this. It's that our longing to get back to the way things were before will eclipse our longing to actually know God. And here's why this is really a, a big risk that we are running. It's because when the pandemic is officially over, uh, it, it won't mean the end of our problems. You see, the reality is there's gonna be fears, there's gonna be faults, and there's going to be frustrations that we're all going to continue to face even 
after 2020 is over and even after we get some resolve uh, and some peace around what has been presented in the pandemic. And I, I just want to elaborate and invite you to consider how this really is the case. Just think back to before uh, the bottom fell out in March of 2020. Uh, life was more convenient, yes. But let me ask you this, was, was life perfect? Was uh, it everything that you wanted it to be? Uh, was everything ideal in your life? Uh, just a few examples of this, like, for example, were you just on fire for your faith? Now, maybe you were, maybe that was you. Maybe you would open up the scriptures and love would just shoot out of your chest and you would feel like a care bear every single time you would encounter God through his word. But for most of us, that, that really wasn't the case. Additionally, hey, were all of your relationships just going great? Were you actually thinking about and pursuing racial reconciliation? Or were you completely nurturing and completely attentive and completely caring to your spouse, your kids, and to your friends? I would push my chips to the center of the table and I would say that all of us, before anything bad happened in 2020, there were three things going on in our hearts. We were afraid on some level of some things. We were anxious and we were ashamed. In some way, shape, or form, these were pre-existing problems. But why? Why is it that this was already happening? And the reason is because our deepest problems didn't start with 2020. If anything, this year has exposed problems every bit as much as it has caused problems. And that's because the problem is not out there. The real problem is right here. And there, unfortunately, there's not going to be a TED talk. There's not going to be a vaccine. There's not going to be a positive news headline that is going to heal us on the deepest level of our need. Simply put, we need more than what life looked like before. And here's what we need. We need the, the glory of the gospel to be radiant and real in all of our hearts today, right now. And what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is God's plan to make every sad thing come untrue, not just now, but forever. And here's the, here's the thing that we tend to do with the gospel is we tend to make it actually all about us. And here's how we know that we're making God's plan and God's story all about us. It's because we do this when we reduce the gospel to where it's only about God dealing with the most recent shape or source of our sorrows. And can I remind you, it's much bigger than that. It's about God ending sin and sickness forever. It's about God ending riots and racism forever. It's about God ending death and despair forever. And what I wanna do is I just wanna take us to a moment in history and a place in scripture where an entire nation, they wanted to go back to the way things were before. So whether on your app or in your lap, go ahead and get your Bible and join me in Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. And I do just wanna put a disclaimer over this. There is no shade or shame if you need to look in the table of contents. 
If you go to the Old Testament, you find Psalms, you go right and you'll find Isaiah. If you're in the New Testament, maybe Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, take a left and you can find Isaiah. But really as the Bible was being written, how was God revealing himself? Well, uh, three big ways. He would reveal himself through miracles. He would reveal himself through movements and he would reveal himself through messengers. So who was Isaiah? Isaiah was one of God's appointed messengers. And what was the message given to the messengers? Well, it was really two things. They were the bearers of bad news a lot. And then they were also the bringers of good news often. And really the point uh, in Isaiah where we are picking up is the point where the people are rebuilding after a whole lot of rebelling. In short, what happened is God's people continued to rebel and reject and resist his ways. And so they were captured by a foreign kingdom and carried off to a foreign land for 70 years. And by this point in the the prophet's book, we are uh, past the exile and they have returned home. And here's what the collective chorus of all of Israel is after exile. Can we just get back to the way things were before. And here's God's response. Take a look in verse 18, Isaiah 43, verse 18. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Now, let me tell you what's really interesting about God's directive to to his people at this point. He's usually, when you think about like, forget the past and just look ahead to the future, you're thinking about things in the past that were bad. But whenever we look at verses 16 through 17, we see that the prophet is not directly talking about Israel's rebellious past as much as he is talking about God's redeeming past. He's talking about this pinnacle moment in Israel's history whenever God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt after hundreds of years. The people, they were enslaved, they were oppressed by evil kings in Egypt And they cried out to God and they say, God, would you deliver us? And so God heard their cry and he sent Moses and he moved through Moses and he led the people to the the Red Sea. And right when they came to the Red Sea, as they were being pursued by Pharaoh's army and chariots, the Red Sea parted and they walked across and experienced safe passage, freedom from Slavery, And yet, what does the prophet say about this incredible pinnacle moment in Israel's history? He says, remember not the former things. So in other words, in Hebrew, what this word really means and what this verse is really saying is stop commemorating this moment in ways that cause you to miss out on what I'm wanting to do right now. And so really, if you, if you think about it, after the flood that happened, God appeared to Noah, how? With a rainbow. And that rainbow was a promise that says, hey, I'm never going to flood the earth again. But imagine what if Israel had come to the threshold of the Red Sea and they had had said, God, I just wish that you would give us a rainbow. But that's not what happened. Instead, God gave Israel a parted sea and freedom. And now they had returned from exile and that's all that they could think about. Uh, All they could think about was just this moment. They would just go back and they would kind of have these shameless 
Uncle Rico moments where they would think, I remember when God used to throw the football over those mountains, or I remember when this used to happen, or God worked in this in this special way, and they just couldn't get past it. They were like, God, you could never top what you did when you delivered us in the past. And you know what? We do the same thing. We do the same thing with our marriages. We look back to those moments when we were just so impressed by one another and all we could do and all we could think about and, and all we could go after was uh, pleasing and pursuing our spouse. And we look back and say, well, those days are over. That, that, that will never happen again. But what if, what, if, what if God says, hey, that's great that that has happened, but stop basing everything that I want to do off of what has happened in the past. We also, we do this with our jobs. We think about that, that job that we used to have, or we, we do this with our health. We think about how healthy we used to be, or we think about our faith, just how vibrant our faith used to be. But what if, imagine with me, church, what if what God is telling us is what he was telling Israel in Isaiah 43, 18? What if he is saying, hey, stop hoping in how things just used to be? What if he is saying, stop limiting me to how I used to move? What if he is saying, hey, seek me now and live? But how do we do that? Well, let's keep reading and let's see what the prophet goes on to say. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So let, let me talk a little bit about this word, behold, because we don't really use that word anymore. We don't really have an English equivalent. That's not something that we would just say uh, in everyday common language. Uh, and so we have a hard time understanding, but here's basically what behold means. It means stop everything. Stop scrolling, stop speeding, stop stressing and pay close attention. And in scripture, we see two ways that the word behold is really used. We see that the word behold is intended to point us to what is beautiful. This is what God did after he created the universe and created the world and everything that was good. He said, behold, it's very good. But another way that we do this, and another thing that we see with the use of the word behold is behold the bad. God said, behold, there is a flood coming in Genesis six. But there's a very basic principle of being human that is brought out with this word behold. And here it is. We become as we behold. So think about it. If I behold me, myself, and I all the time, what's gonna happen in my formation? I'm gonna be a very selfish person. Or if I behold all that's behind me and that's all I can ever think about, whether good or bad, then I'm going to become a really remorseful, regretful person. Or if I behold social media or, or email or work commitments all the time, then I'm probably going to become a discontented and distracted person. But here's the invitation, behold true beauty. You see, if we will behold true beauty, and that's the invitation of the Bible, it is look upon the beautiful one. Look upon him and you will live. If we behold true beauty, then we can become truly 
beautiful. You see, in those moments, whenever you look at a beautiful waterfall, it's like you're just swept up in that moment. And you say, this is, this is how life is supposed to be. Or maybe you see an incredible sunset on the horizon and you say, I'm just, I, I am so caught up in the beauty of this moment that I just can't take my eyes or, or put it anywhere else. Or uh, how about whenever you just see a, a new dad or a new mother just beaming over their newborn baby. You're like, yes, that is it. That is what life is all about. That is true beauty. However, whenever we think about what was the beauty that God was wanting the people of Israel to behold? Well, here's how he describes this beauty. He says, it's a new thing. And if you think about it, from the beginning, God's plan was to unite a people to himself who would be a light of hope to all nations. And so really what this is, Isaiah 43, 19, behold, I'm doing a new thing. I'm gonna make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. It's really a coffee cup verse, isn't it? It's the type of thing that you would just see on a mug where you're sipping coffee. But it's not just a coffee cup verse, it's actually a pretty confrontational verse. Because the reason why God had to do a new thing is because the way that Israel, the way that God's people were relating to him was completely busted and broken. Time and time again, what God is saying is, you rejected and you resisted me. And no matter how many times I displayed my power and my glory I, and gave you my presence, you rebelled. It was never enough. And so what God is saying is, if I continue to relate to you in the way that I have always related to you, then you're going to be destroyed forever. And I know that, well, that's not very seeker friendly. Well, it makes sense. Just think about it. Why is it that God would come down in Jesus and in coming down, he wouldn't just eradicate all evil or all suffering. And there's actually a very simple answer to that. It's because God came to end evil without ending you and me. But we've gotta be careful what we ask for. If we just say, God, I, I, I want you to end all sex trafficking. I want you to end all oppression. Did you know that he, he has to end the wellspring and the source from where these vices and these, the, these broken things come from, and that's us. So he came to end evil without ending us. If he had ended evil, we would not be here. But here's the hope of the gospel, and here's the new thing that we can look to. It's that God is coming again. And because he came in Jesus, and he made a way for sinners to be made right with him, he can come again, and when he does, he will officially end all evil. And this is our hope. And so God says to Israel, hey, listen, I gave you myself in the garden, but you chose yourself. He says, I gave you myself in the Exodus and you missed and longed for Egypt. I gave you myself in the wilderness, but you complained. I gave you myself as your king, but you elected human kings. So what was the problem all along? It was that Israel was beholding wrongly. They were beholding poorly. And basically what God is saying is, hey, listen, my plan has not been lost on your foolishness and on your selfishness. It's just going to look different than you think. So here, here's the invitation that God is giving to Israel. He also gives it to us. Behold better and you can be better. So for Israel, this means that they would look ahead to the ultimate beauty that was coming. To the one who will do more than make a way, he would be the way. 
And you know, this raises a question. If we're going to behold better, we have to look at true beauty. What is true beauty? Well, part of it, not necessarily all of it, but part of true beauty is when those in power leverage their power for the powerless. So when you think about politicians or parents or bosses or coaches or whoever has some some form of authority, when they don't act in ways that benefit those beneath them, what happens? We get angry. We say, that's not fair. We say, that's a foul ball. It ought not be that way. And the reason why is because true beauty is missing in these moments. And here's what God says. He says, I am about to show you what ultimate beauty looks like. And it's going to come to you in the form of a better king and a better kingdom. This king will have every right to exact suffering, but instead he will throw himself into an experience of suffering. Why would he do that? Because he was doing that in our place. This king has every right to be exalted, but he will come and he will be humiliated in our place. This is a king who he, he sees a, a, a law that you and I could never keep. And then he offers us a grace that you and I could never earn. And it looks like a virgin birth, a violent cross, and a vacant tomb. So for us, we can actually enjoy the benefits of this promise more than those who first received it. And here's how. For us, we look to the same work. We look back to the same work that God told Israel to look ahead to, but we do it in new ways. Here's the question. And this is the question that the prophet poses. Do you perceive it? I'm doing a new thing, but do you have the eyes to really see what it is that I'm doing? And I think the reason why he says this is because it's easy to miss. You see, in this case, it's easy for us to miss the new thing that God wants to do in our day, in our lives, in our homes, in our schools, because we have the blinders of what's behind us. And even when we say, hey, I want a better tomorrow, but I just want it to look like it did before all this happened. I still want the comfort. I still want the convenience. But I, I, I do want a better tomorrow as long as it looks like what's in the past. But, you know, in a lot of these verses and really the year that we've had, I want to help us perceive God's plan in a pandemic. And really, these are two things that I think are especially helpful for us to consider right now. But these are really two things that he's always doing whether times are hard or times are great. And here's the first thing. Take a look. He is renewing our desire for his presence. So if you think about the way that Isaiah 43 was framed, it was framed around the promise of God's presence. Actually, in Isaiah 43 too, the prophet says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. This is God's word to God's people. And then he says, when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. So what is, what is happening right here? Well, the prophet is using symbols to point to events that magnify the value of God's presence. So pass through the waters. That was actually a reference to the Exodus. And so what is happening right here is the prophet is saying, hey, it's not, it's not the Exodus. It's not the parting of waters that you want. It's God's presence that you want. Or whenever you walk through wires, uh, the, the waters, you will not be burned. Well, that's a reference to something that actually happened in exile. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow to the government that put themselves over God. And so they were thrown in a furnace. 
But there was another in the fire who walked among them. And what happened? Because he was among them, they were not burned. And I just want to invite you to consider something. Every disappointment in 2020, every disappointment before 2020, every disappointment even after 2020 is an invitation for you to renew your desire for God's presence. What God is trying to do is he's not trying to make your life hard. He's trying to give you hope in him. And if you just think about how his presence is what we're truly seeking, uh, think about whenever you are afraid. Think about whenever you are anxious. Think about whenever you are ashamed. In all of these moments, there is one great need that we are missing. And it's this, it's God's presence right here, right now, covering us with his love and his approval. If I were to ask you, what is the greatest promise in all of scripture? What would you say? I mean, there's a lot of great promises. God works all things together uh, for good. And uh, he, is, he is making all things new, just like we see in this text. But what if the greatest promise in scripture was God's solution to our greatest problem. And it just so happens that it is. You see in Isaiah 43, verse five, the same chapter, fear not because I am with you. God's greatest promise is God's surest presence. If you think about it, when was the first time that we were afraid? When was the first time that we were scared? Well, it was actually in the beginning. The first record of fear in human history was the first moment when humans lacked God's presence. And it was in Genesis chapter three, verse 10, when Adam and Eve rebelled and Adam responded to God saying, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And for the first time I was terrified. And here's what we learn about beholding true beauty. It is both awful and it's wonderful. You see, tr true beauty is awful because it exposes us. If I walk around and I pretend that I'm a truly beautiful person and then somebody who actually is truly beautiful comes into the room, then I'm gonna be insecure and I'm going to be afraid. But what's amazing about true beauty is that it's also wonderful because whenever we see it, we're just, we're drawn in. It's like, that, that's the way that things are supposed to look. That's the way that things are supposed to be. And what this should tell us is that we were created to be fulfilled by God's presence and his approval alone. Actually, while this people who received this promise were in exile, God made another promise to them. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so how do we renew our desire for his presence? What does it look like? Well, it's gonna come in three forms. Seeking God in the gospel, the good news that Jesus came and did what you could not do for yourself. And he applies what he did, his record to your record, so you can be forgiven. But it's also going to, to come uh, as you seek God through his word. And as you cling to his promises and hold fast to what he says, is true, but it's also gonna come as you seek God through his people, that's the church. And that's been hard this year, it has been hard. But we look ahead, regardless of how hard and how much adversity we experience, God's, God's people must come together. 
And it, it has looked different. It, it's going to continue to look different for a little while. But that should not change anything about us seeking God's presence through God's people. Pandemic or no pandemic, you go into 2021 with these commitments. I'm going to seek God in the gospel. I'm going to seek God in his word. And I'm going to seek God through his people. You're going to have a great year. But let me show you one more thing that God has been up to this year and all years. He is renewing our dependence on his power. He is renewing our dependence on his power. What what does the prophet say in the second part of verse 19? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So this is beautiful. It's poetic. It, 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 It lowers our blood pressure when we think about this. But what, what happens when we actually consider the anatomy of this promise personally? Well, here's what it looks like. We've got to consider who is making this promise. Who is the way maker? It's God Almighty. But also we've got to consider what is the promise? What is the outcome of the promise? Well, that God is going to make a way forward when it seems like there is no way, just like he has done in the past. And also where will the promise take place? Well, the promise will take place in the wilderness and the desert. And if we're all just being real and vulnerable with one another, that's what this year has felt like. We, we have walked through a, a dry and weary time where our hearts have been thirsty for something more. And it's not the way that things were before. It's God's presence and it's God's power among God's people. But you know what's incredible is that in the economy of Jesus, weakness is actually an advantage. And the reason why weakness is an advantage is because dependence is an objective. We were created to walk with God and worship God and be dependent on God. Life goes best when life goes like that. But here's what we do. We bring our weaknesses to God and we say, God, I can't do this. I can't do this, but you can And grace and strength and faith will rush like a river to the heart that seeks God with a heart of dependence. For 2020, I just want to ask you this. Uh, Was there a moment whenever you felt like you were facing a struggle that was just completely beyond you? Maybe it was while you were learning to homeschool your kids while working remotely from home. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you got laid off. Uh, maybe it was the riots. Maybe it was the, the, the racism. Maybe it was the wedding getting canceled. Maybe it was you not being able to mourn the loss of your loved one the way that you had envisioned. Maybe it was health issues. And just to open up my life to you, I actually tested positive for covid Uh, earlier this year. And one of the things that was just so overwhelming about the experience, and it's interesting, is like somebody finds out that you actually had COVID and then you recovered. There's like all these questions like, what was it really like? Like, did you do this? Did you experience this? And here's what I can tell you. It just wasn't fun. It just wasn't fun. Um, And, but what I can tell you was the hardest part about that 10 to 14 day window it was the sense of loneliness. 
because uh, uh, my wife, Victoria, and daughter, Eleanor, they were actually with family whenever we found out that I had been exposed. And I just told them, hey, stay put, don't come near until we find out what, what we're really dealing with. And so I didn't see uh, my wife or daughter for 14 days. And it was hard. And around day 10, I remember hitting my knees beside my bed and saying, Lord, I can't, but you can. And I want you to think about the most impossible area of your life that you're facing right now. And in light of God's presence and in light of God's power, I want to invite you to pray this prayer. God, I can't, but God, you can. And if we go into the next year, we go into the remainder of our lives with that prayer on our lips, we have great hope and great assurance. And we can be realistic, but also optimistic that the best really is yet to come. God, I can't, but you can. Pray with me. Father, this, this is our prayer to you, that you would give us your presence, that you would bring more of an experience with your power into our lives. And God, that you just wouldn't deal with the most recent shape of our sorrow and suffering, but God, we thank you that you have dealt with all shapes of sorrow and all shapes of suffering forever. And that we have this hope looking into a new year. God, we look to you and we thank you for the way that you are making all things new in Jesus name. Amen.